0: Sure, we have 30 seconds to tell you that drivers who switch to progressive could save big. But then what? Well, we could try to fill the remaining time with awkward pauses. It's often done for comedic effect. Is it working? I can't tell if this is funny. Maybe this is so bad it's funny. Wow, we really peaked at the save big when you switched to progressive part. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates. There's a whole fleet of them. Look on the ASA. Oh my gosh, they're all going against the
1: wind. It was basically a cube with inside a sphere, where the points of the cube uh, were touching
0: outside of sphere.
1: so this isn't anything that just is limited to the united states it's a worldwide phenomenon
0: hey this is Bryant arnold also known as dragon from
1: skinwalker ranch and you're listening to that ufo podcast Hi, everyone, and welcome back to That UFO Podcast. My guest on the show you're listening to now was going to be Louise Elizondo, but we had to reschedule for next week. So I've brought the guest that would have been on next week forward a week and recording in our allotted time slot anyway. Very excited for this one. I got a huge response when I asked for questions. Um Avi Loeb, uh, Professor Avi Loeb, is a professor of science at Harvard, a uh, theoretical physicist uh, with an expertise in cosmology and astrophysics, among other things. He has published many research articles and authored several books, most recently, Extraterrestrial, the first sign of intelligent life beyond Earth. Avi, welcome to the podcast.
0: Thanks for having me.
1: No, absolutely. I've been enjoying your shows recently uh, of Somewhere in the Skies and, of course, Joe Rogan um, very recently as well. So you've, you've sort of burst onto the scene and been a very popular character and figure. Um, you've you become very, very popular in the scene very quickly.
0: Oh, thank you. Um, I regard the, the current attention as an opportunity to convey my views about how science should be done and how exciting it is to be at the frontiers right now.
1: Absolutely, and your enthusiasm and the way you talk about the subject is very refreshing, the way it comes across, um, and it's it's something that's grabbed a lot of people's attention, so you're very much welcomed on the scene. I want to just start off, though, talking about your childhood. Now, you you grew up on a farm, and I'd like to know a little bit about your journey from the farm to space exploration and the search for extraterrestrial life.
0: Right. So I was born uh, in a village in in Israel, and I used to collect eggs. Uh, We had chicken every afternoon and uh, drive a tractor to the hills uh, of the village. And uh, I was mainly interested as a young kid in philosophical questions because they are the most fundamental we have. Uh, But um, then uh, I was drafted to the military. It's obligatory in Israel and at age 18. And um, I preferred to... um, Uh, work on physics and mathematics uh, rather than running the fields with a machine gun. So uh, I was uh, recruited to a program uh, that allows that, and I finished my PhD in physics at age 24. And uh, during that time that I was in the military, I um, uh, uh, proposed a a project to the Star Wars initiative of Ronald Reagan, and, and that was funded. It was the first international project to be funded by... Uh, the United States um, related to Star Wars, and that brought me to Washington, D.C. for frequent visits, in one of which I also visited Princeton, and I was offered uh, a five-year fellowship under the condition that I'll switch to astrophysics. And I didn't know how the sun shines. It took took me a while to uh, learn the vocabulary, but it also gave me a perspective of sort of uh, an outsider someone that is not uh, was not groomed as part of the astronomy community and i maintain that uh, i maintain also the childhood curiosity that i had as a young kid o- on a farm uh, i was close to nature and not so much uh, engaged in social activities as uh, as i would have been if i were to be born in a, in a city and uh, you know that that left an imprint on my career
1: I would encourage people to go and watch the recent interviews uh, with Joe Rogan and Somewhere in the Skies podcast. And this interview I've tried to put together to ask you some different questions that you haven't already answered on those, which I'm sure you'll appreciate. And the listeners should go and check out those interviews as well. One of the comments that stuck with me, Avi, was uh, that you don't particularly care for all the label- labels you have. Now, you're the chair of various boards, uh, professor, you know, expertise in various fields, and you care less about those than just being curious, and that's something that sticks with you.
0: Yes, um, I maintain my childhood curiosity, and I don't really care how many likes I have on Twitter, and uh, I don't have a footprint on social uh, media, and um, it's really fascinating to be engaged in the trenches, you know, in doing uh, science and uh, trying to learn something new about nature. Uh, and, uh, often, you know, if you pay too much attention, attention to the audience, to, to people, uh, you lose the main purpose of science. You are trying to, uh, chase honors and awards, and you're trying to behave in a way that will satisfy the will of other people. But, uh, ignoring that gives me freedom. And, uh, you know, it's really fun. I mean, you ask yourself, okay, well, we live for such a short time. What's the point of uh, you know uh, trying to adhere to 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 do the way that people want you to behave? I mean, it's much more fun to actually follow the evidence when you see for example something anomalous you ask questions about it you know there is this story about a kid uh, that uh, that declared that the emperor has no clothes and while everyone else was admiring uh, the fictitious uh, clothes of the emperor and and to me, that's a very important lesson that if we behave like kids and we are sort of straightforward and, and uh, we don't manipulate people, we don't uh, play politics, we don't uh, uh, think about what may happen if we do one thing or another and just respond to the facts the way they are, then uh, we're more likely to make discoveries, we're more likely to learn about what nature is. And that's actually really the the purpose of science. You know, science is work in progress and we often make mistakes and we do it by iterations. There is no reason to pretend that we know everything in advance.
1: Absolutely. Now, that curiosity is, like I say, is really refreshing and it comes across in your interviews and when you speak. And that's why you're going to be such a popular character in this field. Is that a curiosity you've always had from childhood in this subject, whether you want to call it aliens, UFOs, extraterrestrial life, or is that something that was more recent?
0: No, that that was true from the beginning. And if you ask anyone that knows me, they will tell you that uh, I'm just like that. And that's the way I was as a kid. And I try to maintain that. In fact, um, Harvard, the Harvard University Gazette uh, asked me uh, a couple of years ago, What is the one thing I would like to change in the world? And uh, my response was, I would like my uh, colleagues, professors, you know, tenured professors, to behave more like kids because um, it's much more fun to, to be straightforward and honest rather than pretend that we know much more than we actually know. Um, Just to give you an example about this object, Oumuamua, that um, is discussed in my book, which was a very weird object that didn't look anything like uh, we have seen before in the solar system. It came from outside the solar system. Uh, When I attended a seminar, a talk on this uh, object, and I left the room after the end of the talk with a colleague of mine, the colleague was saying, "Um, you know, this object is so weird, I wish it never existed. And uh, to me, that illustrates that uh, many scientists prefer to stay in their comfort zone, to basically assume that uh, everything in the future will resemble what they already know. And they use science to boost their image. They build echo chambers where young people repeat what they already know. And that, to me, is very boring because, you know, we need to pay attention to nature and get some feedback from nature, from experiments, from evidence, because often nature's imagination is uh, is a, a bigger than ours. And we learn something new by doing experiments and collecting evidence. And especially when there is an anomaly, something that doesn't quite line up with what we expected, which is true in the case of Oumuamua, we shouldn't say we wish it never existed. We should say, oh, that's really fascinating. Let's figure out what it is.
1: And just to recap uh, before, I've got some questions on your colleagues and their reactions and why things are the way they are. The status quo, Oumuamua was an object discovered uh, October 2017 that came through our solar system several hundred uh, million miles away from Earth, I believe. Would that be right? Yeah. Um, But it was the size of a football field. Artist impressions at the time in newspapers and television showed a space rock. But that's not correct, is it? That's not what this object actually looked like.
0: Uh, yeah, because uh, it didn't look like anything we have seen before. It, uh, it didn't look like a comet because it, there wasn't a trail of gas or dust uh, around it. And yet uh, it exhibited uh, extra push away from the sun, uh, unlike uh, bare rock that uh, would not be pushed and would respond just to the sun's gravity. And so the question is, what provided the extra push? And uh, also it had a very extreme geometry. Uh, most likely a flat geometry, uh, a pancake-like, based on the light that it reflected from the sun. Uh, It was uh, tumbling, and um, as it was spinning around every eight hours, the amount of light that we saw reflected from it changed by a factor of 10, meaning that it has a very extreme geometry. Uh, It's at least 10 times longer than it is wide. And uh, we just, ha- we haven't seen anything like it before. And question is, what gave it this extra push? And we suggested that maybe it's a very thin object that is being pushed by reflecting sunlight. And uh, that means that uh, it cannot be produced by nature, but is instead uh, perhaps of artificial origin.
1: Someone like yourself explaining that, it sounds very simple to go with the idea that let's go look at this, this is really interesting, this is intriguing, this could be an alien visitor from outside, it could be a new type of rock or comet, or it could be, but from all intents and purposes, when you look at it, this is something that's worth exploring. Why do your colleagues and those in academia or science and, you know, the mainstream media still react the way they do to these things that they just can't accept that we may have some sort of of contact?
0: Yeah, that's an interesting question. The, the search for technological signatures of extraterrestrial civilizations is is at the periphery of astronomy. It's not considered part of the mainstream. And you may ask why. Um, I mean, to me, it's very puzzling because we know that about half of all the sun-like stars have a planet the size of the Earth, roughly at the same separation. So life as we know it must be uh, potentially quite common because uh, if you arrange for similar circumstances in billions of other Earth-Sun systems, you are likely to get the same outcome. That would be the conservative view. That should be the mainstream view. But instead... Uh, astronomers prefer to argue that perhaps we are alone, perhaps we are unique and special. You know, to me, that sounds like arrogance. Uh, The modest perspective would be to say that we are common and there is nothing really special about us because Earth-Sun systems exist everywhere. You know, there are billions of them just in the Milky Way galaxy and there are trillions of galaxies like the Milky Way in the observable volume of the universe. There is nothing special about us. So uh, I would argue that the mainstream should actually consider the possibility that we are not alone as the uh, basis for searching uh, for signatures, and that should be the popular view. But instead, uh, there is a taboo on discussing it. And the question is why? And one possibility is because uh, it uh, threatens people to consider that, you know, we are not Alone, Because, you know, when I remember my daughters, when they were young, they thought that they are really special and unique. And when they were at home and when they left to the kindergarten, they saw other kids and then they realized, oh, these kids, some of them have qualities that are superior to theirs. And um, if you want to maintain um, an image of being special and unique, you don't want to leave home because you risk um, your ego, uh, and perhaps that's part of the issue, or perhaps it's too strange for my colleagues to consider this subject, or perhaps it's because of the science fiction literature and the reports on unidentified flying objects, which are not scientifically founded. But my, my, my answer to that is you know, in the Middle Ages, Dark Ages, there were uh, arguments against uh, dissecting the human body because it has magical powers or a soul or something. But uh, imagine if scientists were to say, oh, there is all this nonsense being said about the human body. We should not develop modern medicine. Uh, We should never do an operation on a human body. That makes no sense. Science should uh, not pay attention to any nonsensical uh, statements made. Uh, And if it has the capacity, the, the instruments, the telescopes, in the case of astronomy, to search for other civilizations... It's the obligation of scientists to do it because the public is extremely interested in this subject and how can the scientists shy away from it? One
1: of your, uh, speaking of signatures, you said the, the telescopes we have worth hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars, pounds, wherever you are in the world, can search for things like CFC gases and look for pollution in other atmospheres. And I thought that was a very interesting take. Why do you think particular that should be something we look for?
0: Yeah. So in fact, I wrote a paper about it about five years ago and advocated that we should search for uh, industrial pollution of atmospheres of other planets. And uh, the point is that um, we are currently designing telescopes that would search for oxygen in the atmospheres of other planets. The the problem is that the Earth uh, didn't have much oxygen in its atmosphere in the first two billion years. And uh, despite the fact that it had uh, a lot of micro- micro- microbial life uh, on it. Um, and uh, so therefore, if you don't find oxygen, it doesn't mean that there is no life. And if you do find oxygen, it may mean that you know it's naturally produced because you can make oxygen from a uh, breakup of uh, water molecules. It doesn't mean necessarily that there is life. So people will debate, uh, even if we invest uh, billions of dollars in this, observatories to find oxygen. It will be an unclear uh, signature of life. And uh, my point is that if you find industrial pollution like these CFC molecules, they cannot be produced by nature. And so if you find it, it will be conclusive. You will know that you have evidence for life. And that's why we should consider that possibility and use the same instruments to search for industrial pollution. There is nothing to lose. Uh, And I just find it really strange that my colleagues in the mainstream of astronomy are not considering those possibilities for technological signatures. There is not much funding uh, to search for them. And young people are bullied if they show interest. And, you know, it's just like uh, stepping on the grass and, and, and claiming, look, the grass doesn't grow. Obviously, if there is no funding and uh, there is a taboo on discussing this subject, you would not get much progress
1: it's no secret around the world that harvard's one of the 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 best known and most respected you know settings for academia around the world the name you think university you think excellence you think intelligence what sort of conversations can you have and do you have with your colleagues on this subject how do those sound compared to like myself having a conversation with, with someone i work with or someone in the street
0: well um so um You know, there is a standard scientific discourse that is going on through papers, scientific papers that are written and also discussions in the corridor. And, you know, I have written a lot of tens of papers over the past few years on this subject. I have a textbook that will come out in six months. Uh, 870 pages long that we wrote with uh, a former postdoc of mine and will come out with Harvard University Press and that will lay the foundation for future scientific uh, studies of the search for both primitive and intelligent life. And um, this is part of the scientific activity that I do and I did on, on other subjects as well, You know, like uh, the, the uh, study of black holes, uh, I serve as the director, the founding director of the Black Hole Initiative, the only center in the world that uh, focuses on the study of black holes. Uh, I also worked on cosmology and uh, did the same. But um, putting that aside, there is this uh, culture of dismissing such discussions at this time. And, I, you know, it's not unusual. Whenever there is a new frontier that is exciting, uh, the early stage of that new frontier is Similar to what we are discussing, where uh, people just dismiss it. Uh, They say that it's not worth looking into, that it's too ambiguous. Uh, And that's simply because it's not popular yet. But my prediction is that within a decade or two, this will be the hottest topic. And that's why, you know, I don't really pay too much attention to what people say. And I just promote this subject scientifically.
1: How do we take this topic forward? Then you, you've you've given a timescale of the next decade or two decades that it'll be a hot topic. How do we get to that point where it is that hot topic? What are the next steps?
0: Yeah, so obviously, you know, if we find the uh, uh, undisputed evidence for life, that would uh, kick kickstart this uh, frontier as a major frontier, and you know, in, that happened, for example, in the context of. Um, Gravitational wave astrophysics. Uh, gravitational waves are ripples in space of and time that are produced when, for example, two black holes collide. They produce a storm in space and time and send out waves that we can detect across the universe. And in 2015, the, there was an observatory that detected those waves and the Nobel Prize was awarded for that two years later. So before that detection, the subject was ridiculed and astronomers didn't pay much attention to it. I know it because I worked in it and I know it from the people that promoted it. But after the detection took place, immediately it became a very, one of the most exciting frontiers and the Nobel Prize was given to it. So I think a similar thing would happen, for example, if the Perseverance mission finds life on the surface of Mars or... Um, you know, or we look at another object that looks like a muamua, we take a photograph, and it doesn't look like a rock. You know, that, that would be another example. And um, once that happens, everyone would say, oh, of course, yeah, it's completely natural. Yeah, this is a frontier, of course. And people will forget what they said beforehand, dismissing and ridiculing it. I mean, fortunately, we now have a record of all the social media, um, you know, comments about these things. So I, I, I just... Uh, I look forward to seeing how those people that made nasty remarks uh, will react once everyone accepts it as uh, the most exciting frontier we have.
1: Are you aware of the work of like Lou Elizondo and uh, the Stars Academy and what they have been doing in the last couple of years with regards to declassifying videos of UAPs, UFOs uh, within the US government?
0: Yeah, uh, but uh, I, I see it differently. I don't think we should uh, chase those documents that may exist in drawers that are classified and so forth, because they were based on old equipment uh, that um, and also testimony of you know people that are not scientists necessarily. I think what we should do is fund experiments that um, go to the same sites where the reports came from and use the best scientific uh, instrumentation, deploy instrum- instruments uh, around at those sites and uh, wait for a while and try to record anything unusual. So science is about reproducibility, the fact that you can get the same results if you keep doing the same thing. And and uh, I think if you if we do a well-documented, well-monitored scientific experiment in the same sites where the reports came from, We will learn much more. So rather than look at the past, we should look into the future and just fund an experiment like that. And when I mentioned that on Joe Rogan's um, podcast, um, there was uh, immediately a a grassroots uh, uh, initiative to try and fund such a project. And I'll be happy if um, the funds are raised for that.
1: Yeah, I was going to ask my, my regular co-host Dan had a question for you, but it's a good time to bring that one in. Uh, and he mentioned your, ex, your wonderful Joe Rogan interview. Um, you started some fundraising efforts. Those were started at grassroots, like you say. There are some organisations who have a scientific basis like Skyhub, SCU, org. Are there any scope with, or someone like yourself working together with those groups?
0: Yeah, I mean, um, I, I was contacted and I said that if they raise the necessary funds, I'll be glad to to lead the scientific work on this. I know of a number of uh, scientists that they uh, would be happy to be engaged and one can do a high-quality uh, piece of work, research on this subject and clarify uh, what's going on. I mean, I'm not afraid of uh, demons or monsters or, you know, the, the, uh, let's just use scientific instruments and figure out what these things are about. You know, now it's possible that they are, you know, uh, S, uh, uh, these are uh, instruments, these are entities that were uh, representing, um, uh you know technologies that other nations have and use for spying on the United States that's why it's of national security interest and that's why the government may be interested but the way i would approach it is from a scientific point of view i don't care who sent them or who is doing what let's just collect the data and analyze it and figure out what what the nature of these things is uh without being worried about the implications. And and it will be publicly available and nothing will be hidden from view. And uh, let's just figure it out.
1: It's a very interesting take because regularly on this show, I will talk to people who come at the the same topic from a different approach. And they'll be talking about flying saucers, if you want to call them UFOs, uh, things coming from different dimensions, different worlds, but ultimately with the same goal that they want to know what they are and where they're from. And, you know, have these th- have these things came from somewhere that other than here, you're coming from the angle of let's just look scientifically and try and find out whatever this is, what it is. Do you think the, the stigma attached to UFOs and UAPs and talking about aliens can be detrimental to the movement, even though they may have a similar goal?
0: Um, Yeah, but uh, I, I think... Uh... Uh, it's a mistake to uh, focus on the past. We should focus on the future and try to make it uh, better. And, um, uh, you know, with a fresh perspective, with the best instruments we have now that are much better than we had decades ago and forgetting about the history, you know, just let's let's uh, have a fresh new look at this issue and figure it out. And, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if we we will not find anything, but if we do find something, it would be extremely exciting, of course.
1: Tell the listeners about why you felt compelled to write the book on this particular event. What what's been the one thing that's really spurred you on here?
0: Yeah, there were a number of anomalies about this object that um, didn't fit what we expected, and so uh, that's why I thought that it might be of artificial origin. And uh, you know, I didn't want to back down from that uh, possibility just because uh, other people say that. We should not discuss this possibility. I I just wanted to uh, ec- explain what the evidence is and why these are anomalies. and And so I wrote the book. and At the same time, the book has a second message in addition to explaining why this object might be artificial. Um, the second message has to do about the color, the current uh, culture of science, which, um, e- you know, and that is also of the academic uh, world as well. That people worry more about their image, they are trying to demonstrate that they are smart, they're trying to get honors and awards, and are less focused on, you know, uh, trying to figure out what nature is. Um, And uh, these are not necessarily the same goals, because you can do uh, intellectual gymnastics just uh, work with sophisticated mathematics to show that you are smart, even if it doesn't have any connection to experiments or to the, the description of nature. And, um, you know, that that would betray the obligation of being a physicist, trying to figure out what nature Sometimes nature is simple. You don't need sophisticated math. You just need to figure it out. You know, it doesn't uh, necessarily demonstrate that you are smart. You're just saying the right thing you know when aristotle said the greek philosopher said that um, uh, we are at the center of the universe and had these spheres around us uh, that was a very beautiful and sophisticated model of the universe uh, but even though it was beautiful and sophisticated it was it was wrong so who cares like I mean, you can make a model that looks extremely clever, but if it doesn't describe reality, it's of little relevance. And, uh, you know, it's just like Aristotle was arguing, how many teeth does a horse have? And nobody checked for a thousand years, and then he was proven wrong. Now, the fact that his ideas are beautiful and attractive do not make them true. And uh, physics is about describing nature. Nature is one thing, you know, and we just need to figure it out. So focusing on demonstrating that you are smart and getting accolades for that. It's not the same as figuring out what nature is, and that's why I don't pay too much attention to how many likes I have on Twitter and, or what. I d- just pay attention to the evidence. And you know, if someone came up with an argument why the evidence can be explained in a natural way, then I will back down and give up on this as a, a, an artificial origin for a muammar. But uh, as long as that is not that case is not made, why would I give up on this? And I think that's you know that's the sincere way of addressing the the scientific evidence that we have now
1: very recently in the news robert bigelow has announced he was going to award three prizes of half a million dollars three hundred thousand and two hundred thousand dollars to anyone who could prove and basically an afterlife that consciousness existed have you have you seen this and do you have any thoughts on it because regularly and more so now consciousness and entities from other dimensions, other worlds, are being all linked together?
0: Yeah, well, um, I can tell you what I think about consciousness, and and, and I think it's an emergent phenomena uh, that is related. I mean, I, I think the human body is, you know, just like a computer, that uh, when a person dies, it's just like unplugging the computer from the wall, you know, there, there is nothing different. Uh, And, uh, you know, in the human body, there is the brain, which is a complex uh, uh, organ. And, um, you know, we come up with thoughts and we come up with consciousness. And uh, these are all um, outcomes of the way that our brain operates. Um, But there is nothing... You know that you can put your hands around and say, "Oh, this is consciousness. It's just an emergent phenomenon, you know, so when you have complex systems, including computers, you know sometimes with artificial intelligence you get you get very uh, complicated patterns of behavior of of systems that are complex, and uh, you can give them names, you can say, that's consciousness, that's something else." but uh, they don't have a physical uh, address where you can say, this is what physic- what consciousness, you know, like I found that the material that makes consciousness uh, exist. And it's just an emergent phenomena of the object that you're looking at, you know, and, and that's the way I think of it. And I don't think we have anything beyond our physical body, which is a complex system, um, to give everything that we know about uh, humans, you know. And um, with respect to free will, you know, I think... Uh, You know, free will is basically um, a result of us um, uh, responding to a lot of uh, input uh, that we get uh, throughout our life and throughout our experiences that gives it a little bit of uncertainty as to how we will respond. So you think, okay, there is free will, but fundamentally, you know, it's just um, the fact that we are exposed to a lot of uncertain factors that make it look as if it's free, but it's not really... Free will. I mean, we are uh, physical objects responding to the environment, basically. And as
1: someone who, back at the start, you've, you've talked about having this curiosity, and obviously you've, you've kind of nailed your colors to the masters regards consciousness. Do you still feel that's a field
0: that's worth investigating and looking oh, into? Definitely. I think uh, it's a very important uh, field because um, it affects so much of human activity. You know, it makes us different from animals. Uh, and from uh, physical objects. And uh, it would be good to, to figure out what it is. And one way to address it is, for example, if we develop uh, systems of artificial intelligence and we see how they behave, the question is, can we tell that they do not have consciousness? Can we separate their behavior from human behavior? And that's uh, similar to the Turing test of um, comparing a computer to a human and, and asking You know, is there a a point where a computer would behave just like a human? And, uh, you know, that that can be explored in the future. And I think studies of that are extremely interesting. Yes, definitely.
1: Avi, let's go on to some listener questions just before we we get uh, too close to the end of the show. Um, So second question from a regular co-host Dan would be, if you did somehow make contact with another form of intelligent life, what would be the first thing you would like to ask?
0: Oh, what is the meaning of life? uh to which we don't have an answer i think a good answer because any meaning that we assign is temporary it's uh, you know localized and it's not sort of a global meaning of life and i would like to know what their perspective is and if they had been around for a billion years and they had time to think about it perhaps they have some insight i'm worried that uh, there will be silence at the other end because there is no meaning to life you know you just exist um but one possible answer is, for example, if we were put here on Earth by another civilization, you know, if they planted the seeds for our existence, then the meaning of our life relates to that those laboratories that produce the seeds, and uh, that could be one answer if we end up finding that we are not uh, really um, and, and that we didn't result from the chemical soup uh, by by random processes on Earth, but we were planted here. Uh, But yeah, this is the most fundamental question I would like to know the answer to. Uh, But then there are lots of questions about um, the constituents of the universe to which we don't have an answer. Like, what is the dark matter? What was before the Big Bang? You know, maybe they had uh, some insight into that, and I would like to know it.
1: Absolutely. I just want to ask it, just to follow on from something you said earlier, and that was, that was a good question. Do you think within that decade or next two decades, we're going to have an answer to are we alone in the universe or not?
0: Uh, yeah, I think uh, there is a good chance because we have the instruments to allow us to answer this question. Uh, the only question is, are we open-minded enough to search for the evidence? Because if you're, if you're not ready to find wonderful things, you will never discover them.
1: Excellent. Uh, Dave Smethurst sent in a question. In private, do astronomers discuss UAPs and UFOs and things like the recent confirmed Navy photographs? Are there any private stories regarding observations you've heard about that they just won't talk about in public?
0: Oh no, uh I and I don't believe in conspiracy theories either because um I think someone would leak the information. Just to give you an example, there was uh, a recent report about a radio signal uh, coming from the direction of the nearest star, a Proxima Centauri. Yeah. Uh possibly of uh, alien origin and and even the scientists that work on this project, they couldn't keep a secret and somehow it leaked to a journalist in the uh Guardian. Uh, and and was discussed uh, publicly, Uh, that signal itself is unlikely to be from an alien civilization because um, the chance of a a transmitter on the nearest star is extremely small. I mean, we've developed radio technology only over the past uh, century, and uh, the, uh, the, the chance that we have the detectors for such signals at the same time as the neighboring star has a civilization that is able to transmit radio signals, uh, is is really small. Um, I mean, uh, the the only way to that we are likely to detect radio signals is if we look at the entire Milky Way galaxy that has tens of billions of stars in it. Then we have a reasonable chance of seeing something, but but not from the nearest star. So. I think it's most likely leakage of radio waves from some oscillator uh, in Australia close to the telescope. And of course, the the way to find out is to uh, try and observe the same signal from another uh, observatory that is not in the same location. And if you can't see it again, then it's probably something else, a local uh, effect uh, near the Parkes telescope in, in, in Australia.
1: Thanks for that. Next question was from UBFO Intelligence Study. Was the trajectory fixed or did it sway? And that, of course, in relation to Oumuamua. And what's the likelihood of an object being 10 times longer than it is wide? Has something like this been observed before?
0: Yeah, so we haven't seen something like that before. And the biggest, uh, uh, the most extreme objects uh, that, that that we have seen have a ratio of one to three, roughly. Um, and uh, you have to keep in mind that this is in projection on, on the sky. So if you imagine a, a razor thin uh, piece of paper tumbling in the wind, uh, there is very little likelihood to actually see it edge on and, uh, change by a factor of 10 as the piece of paper is tumbling, is quite extreme, you know, and with my student, we actually showed that, uh, there was some data later on, so there was data for the first couple of weeks. But then, uh, a month later, some additional data was taken, and and that variation continued. And uh, it's very it's impossible to maintain exactly the same orientation along the orbit of the object relative to us. So, so the chance of seeing it adjoin is, is minuscule, and, and we show that it actually has to be even more extreme than 1 to 10. It has to be 1 to 30 or so. Uh, so, you know, this begs uh, uh, the possibility that it's extremely thin and um, and the large object, you know, uh, roughly the size of a football field, uh, but thin, much thinner than a rock can be. Am I correct, from your previous interviews, you've stated you don't feel that this
1: was some sort of craft, but more than likely something that has come off of another object?
0: Yeah, that's one possibility. Or it's a light sail, uh, just um, a sail that is very thin and uh, extended. Um, Yeah, we don't know what it is because we haven't gotten an image of it, but it could be one of various possibilities that involve a thin object.
1: And this, this might be something that's, uh, bear in mind, I have no experience in astrophysics or anything like that. So this is as basic a question as it comes. But I was interested to see you talk about the data. And it's basically some dots on a, a screen. And it shows you, and you can read it as the stars in the background. And here's how we've picked out uh, Oumuamua as an object. Mm-hmm. How far away are we from having a bigger leap in technology that we can start to see objects at that extreme distance where it's not just data points on a screen? Or is that something that's oh, lifetimes um, away?
0: Yeah, well, if you consider an object uh, rough, roughly 100 meters in size, like um was, or a few hundred feet, um, it's impossible to resolve such an object with the existing telescopes on Earth unless it comes extremely close to Earth. And that's unlikely. So the only way to get a photograph that resolves it is by sending a spacecraft that passes close to it, which is possible, especially if we catch it on its way towards us, rather than chasing it, we can just meet it halfway and take a photograph of it. So, and, and also we can put stations in space and whenever uh, such an object is spotted, let's say with the Vera Rubin observatory, we direct those uh, stations to come close to it and take a photograph. I mean, That is definitely possible and I think that's the way to go.
1: Uh, James had a follow-up question to that that one before and what did the inward and outward trajectory say about the origin and future destination of Oumuamua?
0: Yeah so um, it looks like the object originated from a very special frame of reference called the local standard of rest. This is the frame where that you get to when you average the motions of all the stars in the vicinity of the sun So stars move randomly relative to each other. And if you average the motions near the sun, you end up with the local standard of rest. And this uh, object, Oumuamua, was at rest in that frame. Only one in 500 stars is so much at rest. And so uh, uh, that was surprising. And it's sort of like the local uh, public parking lot. Uh, If you find a car parked in it, you don't know which house it came from. So... um, um Oumuamua was like a buoy sitting at rest on the surface of an ocean, and the sun bumped into it, uh, just like a, a, a ship running into a buoy and kicking it. Uh, and the question is, why was it in that special frame of reference? Does it mean anything? It could be one member of a grid of objects uh, that uh, fill up interstellar space and is used for navigation, for example. Or a relay station for communication? We don't know. Uh, There are too many questions. Uh, I think we should, um, of course, collect more data on the next object that looks peculiar, as peculiar as Umuamua was. So it could be a little
1: bit like uh, an intergalactic Google Google street mapping going along, just mapping yeah. the universe,
0: potentially. Yeah, interst- yeah. I- interstellar, not in, intergalactic. Interstellar, yes. yeah, sorry. Yeah, be- between stars, yes. That's one possibility that you have road posts and uh, they just mark different locations.
1: A uh, couple more questions before we start to round off. Craft Meat has asked, would you consult on something like the UAP task force that's being set up by the US government?
0: Um, I was not asked to be part of it, but um, I think it's important to um, examine uh, those reports because they could have national security implications. And also because scientifically speaking, you know, it's intriguing. And uh, rather than dismiss any reports that uh, are unusual, we should uh, check how reliable they are and get more data on them. So I'm... uh, uh, you know, I really uh, look forward to to getting more information on on these. Yeah.
1: Uh, another question they asked was, "How is uh, breakthrough Starshot coming along?"
0: Yeah, so we have um, uh, several teams working on three challenges right now. One is uh, developing the photon engine, which is the laser beam that uh, is used to to push on a light sail, uh, and then uh, another group of people works on. Uh, the design of the of the sail that will be pushed Uh, and there you have to design a structure that will sail um, in a stable fashion on the laser beam um, and and also made of materials that will reflect most of the laser light without absorbing much because otherwise it will burn up uh, and it needs to be a strong strong material that is lightweight so that's a second effort and then the third effort is on communication, because when you get to four light years away, uh, the signal that one can send uh, after taking a photograph, let's say, of a planet uh, near Proxima Centauri, uh, the signal will be very faint uh, when it gets back to Earth after four years. And uh, we need to develop the means for uh, interpreting the signal and figuring out what it, what, what it says. And so that's the third major challenge uh, involving communication. And we're trying to address these, these challenges. The way I see it is just the beginning of an effort. Uh, and humanity needs to engage in this effort to go to other stars because, you know, space is really the ultimate frontier for us. And finally Matt has asked how does someone
1: with no professional experience in their 30s pivot and get into this kind of research how can the general public help with topics like this to get keep them and keep them moving forward
0: Well one one possibility is if there is a crowdfunding for the kind of experiment I mentioned before which is to scientifically investigate those reports about unusual uh, phenomena uh, which, you know, now there is uh, an initiative to do that based on my discussion with Joe Rogan. Uh, that's one way. Uh, another is, of course, if you are a young person that uh, wants to study uh, for uh, for a research career, uh, of course, you can enter an astrophysics program and uh and, and end up uh, doing a PhD on, on a topic related to this, uh, either the search for primitive life or the search for intelligent life. And I do think that if you enter, you know, now or in the coming years, it's it's a good um, investment of time because uh, it's likely that within the coming decade, this will become a very hot topic and exciting. You know, I know of many people uh, people that entered science because they were interested in science fiction and as, a, as, as children. And um, I think uh, science can be exciting. It doesn't need to be boring. We don't need to listen to people that repeat mantras about things that we've learned in the distant past. That is not what science is about. Sci- science is a burning front of knowledge where you learn about new things through new evidence, new data, and it should be exciting uh, it should address what the public is interested in rather than the mathematical gymnastics that many of my colleagues are doing. So let's uh, push that frontier of knowledge together with younger people with the support, the the funding of the of the public.
1: And Avi, I think genuinely people like yourself coming into this topic from a scientific point of view definitely helps and is what needed uh, to move things forward. Your book, uh, Extraterrestrial, The First Sign of Intelligent Life Beyond Earth, is available in the UK from the 4th of February and in the US and other countries from the 26th of January, I believe. And people should just keep an eye on sites like Amazon. That's where I've got my pre-order in and any other websites they can get their books from. I just want to ask you one last thing, Avi. What do you want people that pick up your book to take away from it?
0: Well, two things that uh, we may have discovered the first uh, technological relic of another civilization in the form of umuamua. We don't know for sure, but we can find out in a few years if you find more objects of the same. And the second message is the scientific culture needs to change. It's not in a healthy situation right now. And I say that Not as an outsider, I say that as an insider, you know, I have many leadership positions and I'm not afraid to speak out uh, my views. And uh, one way to change it is by uh, recalculating the way we behave.
1: As you have said yourself, Avi, you can choose to ignore reality. It doesn't mean it's going to go away. So I'm going to carry that one forward with me. Avi, I appreciate your time. You're a very busy man and you've got more interviews to do, which I hope people look out for as well. So thank you very much for spending the time with us on the show. Thank
0: you for having me.
1: Of course, on Twitter, it's at UFO, UAP, A, M. And again, folks, as always, keep looking up. You never know what you might see. It wasn't a tic-tac and not quite a saucer, more like a hubcap design by Charles Baroque and quite steampunk, like Alice was playing bass for the Parliament of Fuck. The little fucker hovered right inside of my window, and when I shoved out the screen, he made it an issue. I don't think he expected me to see his ass, but I'd had some champagne and smoked it for him. game again is fateful on meta, I can't imagine how it could have been any I got to the top of the stairs and there it was. like you awake, I was about to abduct you, cuz...
0: I fell back, nearly kissed myself, and I climbed out the window after the elf. And
1: I woke up in my bed, and there was something on my head, and everything was weird, and everything was red. I called up my boys. They thought this was noise. They thought it was a dream. They thought it was my toys. They thought it was my problems. And they think I should see
0: therapy. And I don't know what it is because it doesn't really scare me. We'll who switch and save with Progressive save over $700 on average, and those savings add up. Imagine what you could buy in the future.
1: Remember how 15 years ago I switched to Progressive? Well, I used all those savings to buy that golf club that swings for you. But now everyone who plays golf is really good because, you know, the club swings for you. In, in the future, which is now.
0: So switch to Progressive and save big because those savings can add up in the future. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National annual average insurance savings by new customer surveyed who save with Progressive in 2020. Potential savings will vary.